Aalto University Podcast. In the Adventures in Entrepreneurship Law podcast series, Petra Hietanen-Kunwald and Kalle Airo from Aalto University explore business law from an entrepreneurial point of view with expert guests. In some episodes, their co-host is Moritz Scherleitner. The podcast content is meant for education and is not intended to constitute legal advice. What's it like to be an entrepreneur? Our guest is Tina Zilakius, entrepreneur and startup board professional. Entrepreneurship Law with Petra and Kalle. The best way to predict the future is to build it. Many of the people shaping the future choose to do it as entrepreneurs. In this episode, we will talk with entrepreneur and startup board professional Tina Zilakius about what it is like to be an entrepreneur, building something new, and why you might want to become an entrepreneur yourself. Companies are important part of any entrepreneur's toolkit. And uh, entrepreneurs play different roles in different companies, and companies play different roles in an entrepreneur's life. And today we will discuss this with Tina Ciliakus. We met with Tina two or three years ago in the mediation training. Mm. And I soon realized that Tina is really a professional in what she's doing, and she's also willing to share her experience. So Tina, tell, you, tell us more about who you are and what you're doing. Okay, um, so my name is Tina Ciliakus, and um, I actually became uh, entrepreneur 11 years ago. And before that, um, I had already been building digital services um, 12 or 13 years. And then I actually decided that entrepreneurship is the best business model to do what I love to do. So I like to say that I'm a digital creator and maker, uh, and this is the way I like to make my money. So what is the best part of entrepreneurship and being an entrepreneur? Mm, for me, the best part is definitely building the new. So uh, in, in this profession, you're kind of... Um, allowed to be an explorer and to start from the idea and to start from the scratch and to kind of find out the pieces yourself and construct the kind of puzzle that you are interested in. So that's the best part. So why is entrepreneurship important to you? Uh, it's really a big question, but uh, the most important thing obviously is the freedom. Uh, to do this building work as you want. So uh, services and digital services and new products are such that they are sort of mysteries when you start. And when you go and collect the bits and pieces from the marketplace and within yourself and within the team and, and you kind of um, make this all work, um, you cannot do it in a very rigid context or in a very linear way necessarily. So corporate environments and many other environments are by nature linear, but entrepreneurship and new services unlinear. So would this be iterative or how kind of uh, unlinear? Uh, it is also uh, uh, sort of uh, the lean startup and all these models that we teach at schools, they are very important frameworks to understand. But if they would work, all the companies and all the businesses and all the entrepreneurs would be enormously successful. And 
if you are sort of intellectually honest, then you ask, well, why they are not? So that's the mystery part, and that's the freedom part, and that's the creative part that everyone actually needs to also learn, and that's why freedom is important, because that's the only way you can grow those kind of characteristics within you. Why would somebody then learn these frameworks? Uh, well, maybe the reward is that, um, to use a metaphor, that you know, if you are a boat builder and you, you build boats out of wood, um, then when you finally finish the product and it floats, nothing sort of beats that feeling that you know you are kind of that in in your blood you are this boat builder. So. Uh, within this con context of building new services, you are sort of a boat builder. And then you know that after two years or three years or whatever, if there is kind of um, any opportunity that you've seen correctly, it will float. And that's basically the moment when, you know, like the hard work gets rewarded when it floats. Does, does every entrepreneur have to be creative? Is this one of the basic characteristics? Uh, creativity is a big word, but in a sense I'd say yes, because there is a lot of problem solving involved in this work. Mm -hmm. So creativity in small moments in, in kind of uh, how to find a plan B or how to find a solution C. So in, in that sense, yes, but um, don't define creativity in a way that you know you need to be sort of creating a painting from blank canvas. Yeah. I don't mean that, but I mean creativity in and moments. Problem solving and, and, yes. and anticipating problems. And, and, and yes, and then kind of how to dance with difficult situations that always arise. Yeah. You know, there are different ways of being an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. So uh, if we think of being a startup entrepreneur or being a lifestyle entrepreneur, mm -hmm. uh, What's your preference? Is there a kind of clear answer to people which is better or what are the differences? Uh, it's really important question because in my opinion all kinds of entrepreneurship, if that's the way that you know one likes to kind of make the living is, is important and uh, in media and in press um, we always talk about startups and scale-ups and really big companies and that kind of entrepreneurship. But um, you can be also a really profitable solo entrepreneur and really happy in doing your work that way. And between that and the scale up, there are hundreds of ways of uh, building a company and being an entrepreneur. And it's not very visible in the media, but it is the reality. And, and that's also important that when people start to consider that it's not only sort of the big unicorn stories that are interesting. There are many kinds of interesting things you can do as an entrepreneur. So this is, uh, this is just to get it right, you, so when you talk about entrepreneurship, it's not only the big scalable uh, startups that maybe are very successful and then uh, do an IPO at some point, but we also talk about people who just want to make a living out of what they love to do. Yes, yes, so you can be a professional entrepreneur and you know, there are people who are solo entrepreneurs and they have one million euro yearly businesses. Not very bad. So in, in that sense, we don't just read about those people in the magazines because they do their work. And, and But you know, those kind of stories are very interesting, in my opinion, yes. because okay. that's, that's also kind of important work they do, given someone pays that amount of money.
and and also there might be some entrepreneurs who make less money but still are are like happy with their lives and of and course is it so yes yes exactly so, so and also the, those have to consider how it works the the whole Yes, and the whole point is that, you know, career is enormously long. So, you know, it's tens and tens of years. So, you know, like uh, it's sort of my second incarnation as an entrepreneur. So I've been a startup entrepreneur uh, with a games company. And now I'm a one woman development company investing in startups and building them hands on. And there will be a third incarnation for me. So I will be many kinds of entrepreneur during my professional career. And I think that's also fairly um, sort of unrecognized feature of entrepreneurship. So there's a big difference between the entrepreneur and the company. Mm. So what kind of roles do the entrepreneurs play in the companies that they are involved with or they start themselves? Yes, so first of all, I would would like to say that, you know, when I uh, founded my first company, I, I did it because I got a uh, games idea for uh, for a yoga game, and that's why I needed a company to create that game. And um, it it was very difficult for me because I uh, I was already uh, 37 years old, and I had a long professional background to kind of separate myself from that company. So I kind of got mixed. So you know, if someone someone was criticizing the game, it was a direct critic to me. And then I suddenly realized that that's not the way that you actually can sustain this profession. That, you know, Tina is Tina and the company is company and product is product and they're all separate things. And then, you know, it started get a little bit better. But I still think actually that art students get a very good education in having a critique already at school. So, you know, like if you study business or law or engineering, you don't get so much critique, which is very useful skill to take that when you're an entrepreneur. So what kind of official roles do entrepreneurs have in their companies? Yes, so obviously, you know, like first you're a CEO and a a toilet cleaner, so the classical example and everything in between. But um, uh, most importantly, I I think you are a team leader. So, you know, like if you're not a solo entrepreneur, you're always, uh, you need some people who actually do the work and then you are a team leader. And that's that's the most important role to me. Then you are CEO. So, you know, like you're responsible of all the things that CEOs are responsible in in Finland, uh, according to business law and, and other kind of practices. So you need to take care of the finances and the board and or that kind of bureaucracy, then you're an owner, which means that, you know, you are kind of adding value with everything you do from an owner's point of view to yourself and to other owners. So that's kind of how I see it. So can you elaborate a bit more about the role of owner, board member, CEO, or if you are CTO or some kind of other manager in your own company? Hmm. Yes, so actually the owner, in in my opinion, is a very important role. So when you found a company, when I founded a company, I I kind of wanted to own my own work and wanted to own also the results as well as the potential kind of payoffs. And with that kind of thinking, uh, even though when the company grows and someone else might become the CEO responsible of kind of a daily 
activities and running the operations of the business and you would be in a more creative role or board role or somewhere else, you'd still kind of keep that owner's hat. Uh, so someone else is responsible of operations, but you know, you might not be satisfied with the results, which then means that you still kind of exercise significant power and can kind of change the CEO or change even the member uh, of the leadership team if companies of that size. So from the beginning, from the ground zero uh, to let's say five years, seven years ahead in, in, in the life cycle of the company, the owner role is the only consistent role. But then the other roles and the other hats, they kind of change and evolve. That's my experience. Can you also explain about, um, you, have, you have the CEO, you have the, the uh, board members, uh, what kind of, typically what, how, how is it typically co uh, constructed in a startup? Does mm -hmm. the owner really have all their heads on or is it so that you're going to divide the different roles and who takes the responsibility for what? Mm. Yeah, the CEO role is not, not a very nice role because, you know, basically, you know, like you're um, responsible upwards to the board and then downwards to the employees and then pretty much uh, also the public face of the company. So at some point, um, the founder CEOs like, like to get rid of that role. Okay. That's my practical experience. But then in the beginning, especially if you're raising funding and you're that type of a company that continuously is present in the capital markets, they like founder CEOs. So Who invest their own money. In, when they invest own money, they like founders to be CEOs. Yeah. So it's also kind of a dance of different interests and motivations of you know what drives. But basically, um, and I, I also think that in the beginning, founder CEOs make, make a lot of sense. But I, I know that, let's say, when you're a founder CEO for five years, it becomes a burden. So that's why you sometimes then decide that you know, there is you know, need for a professional CEO or non-founder CEO. And that's kind of how, how it normally evolves and plays out. But um, it depends also on the company and the type of business. You know, what is being, you know, can someone else, is, is there a, a sort of professional business management experience, even a possibility, or do you always need you someone with substance yeah. experience from early on? And uh, it's not a simple question how, how these play out over the course of the time. And who is typically in the board of directors? If you if you have the founder as the CEO, always then somebody else in the board. Of in investors are typically in the board of directors as well as uh, at least one or two members from the founding team who are sort of representing the founder interests and and then sometimes sort of independent um, one person who is sort of not related in that sense related to the company history, but can bring some value in terms of growth and commercialization and stuff like that. So that's kind of quite normal after a few years. So not, not from the day right. one, but after so in a few the day years. one, you have one person who yeah. has all the hats and then some yes. silly uh, relative who yes. <laughs> also yeah. in the board. Yes. <laughs> and then later on, you, you divide the roles. Yes, so? exactly. Okay. And um, the founder CEOs, it's, it's actually very sort of normal also that these people have a lot of blind spots. Uh, with respect to their company and their business. So the role of the board 
in in my opinion in many startups is also to kind of um, help to kind of see and manage the blind spots. So not only the governing role of the board, but you know to help the CEO and the team on mm -hmm. under the CEO to kind of um, maybe unhinder some biases that okay. they might have built over the course yes. of the years. So that's the importance of the board. What's the role of outside advisors, according to you? Uh, especially in the beginning, you know, you're, it's not possible to actually hire everyone to the team because you don't necessarily have mm -hmm. cash flow or such funding that, you know, you can hire everyone what you need. So you can use advisors to actually help you to grow. And, and they normally have a lot of networks and important contacts, which are everything when you're starting a new company, a new business. So that's a very efficient way, actually, if you are clever in selecting advisors to, to kind of um, uh, get access to people to whom you wouldn't get access without them. How do you compensate these advisors? Uh, so there are many ways. Uh, so norm normally uh, you can think about the option schemes. Uh, if companies of that size that it actually makes sense to kind of go through all the legal work of creating incentive plans. Uh, if there is um, money, you can obviously, you know, pay little uh, from from that. Uh, normally, in in Finland, that's actually rare. So option schemes are more common, according to my experience, than just compensating in a consultancy way. Then there is some. Then you know there are people who actually like to get a reference that they work in this kind of a role for startups. So it's not a, it's sort of a transactional in that sense that they're not only giving, they're also getting. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's that's the thing that, you know, you might like to um, learn something from uh, a new technology or new business area that you don't have experience in, but you can bring something to the startup and then learn on what they are doing. So I became an advisor to a sustainability startup four years ago, and I'm now a chairman of the board. And and I'm I'm not an uh, engineer in 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 that sort of field. They are, and I've learned enormously on everything related to kind of that field over the course of the four years. I also invested into the company, and I'm a stakeholder otherwise, but. I might say that you know it's it's one of the most interesting projects during the mm -hmm. six years because not only we've been able to kind of grow that company, but I've learned a lot to be part of that team that way, just as an example. So what kind of roles do different companies play in entrepreneurs' life or career? Big roles. So some com companies are like marriages. <laughs> so. Uh, I, I won't recommend that, but small joke that, you know, maybe, maybe just to think in advance that, you know, if you really engage uh, into a company as a founder together with some other people, um, you spend a lot of time every day, every week, every year with those people. And they actually are, it's really, really important decision who they are. So that's kind of one one type of uh, importance that you know might enter into your life that you don't see if you have not built this kind of a business before. That after five years you're like, okay, I know these people better than my family. Mm -hmm. So that's that's 
one kind of company that you know can happen then um, let's say you know if you're in a board role an advisor role um, it can be a growing relationship like um, that over the course of the year you get to know the team and you get to know uh, the persons and then it, it's sort of like friendship so you know it becomes better and better or wine that you know it's actually uh, sort of a growing way and a growing company in your life and then there are like uh, so, sort of you know normal it's just a business you know like uh, I have this kind of uh, thing that I want to do these kinds of things that I can now do and there is a market open for two or three years and I do that type of business and then I know that at some point it will end. So it's sort of, it's having a very, um, you know, clear, open and, and close sort of in, even in your mind. Various kinds of. Why should you start a company? And when should you start a company? Is it when you have this brilliant idea or how long should you wait? That's an excellent question. And so many things come, come to my mind. I, I'd like to say that do not start if you're, if there is any other way you can do it, do it other way. If there is no other way, then become an entrepreneur and do that company. So okay. it's such a difficult road, most likely, especially with the first one you start, that you need to know within yourself that that's the only way I really want to do it, and, and then you do it. So you can start a company alone, or you can start a company with your friends or mm -hmm. group of other people. So uh, how should you choose? Who do you start the company with, or do you start it alone? Um, okay, I've started one alone, and then kind of attracted people to join that. That uh, was a game startup uh, 11 years ago. I do not recommend that. So that's just a personal thing. It might work for some other people, but for me, what happened was that over the course of the years, I still was, after four years, the only one uh, sort of, in the end of the day, responsible. And that one, that experience, I, I don't re recommend to any other entrepreneur. That's why I'm saying that maybe if you want to build a scalable product, scalable business, um, it's actually really worthwhile to use a lot of time to, uh, to kind of meet people and see how things work before you start the company. So I'm considering um, a new case now that may start next year. And I've known these people, um, they have completely different profession, professional experience. I've known them uh, now for one year. We've discussed this company and designed it a um, little less than four months. And we still will use, I think, this fall to build the platform and to do these things together. And I still will see before I kind of nail down the shareholder agreement uh, how it goes. Yeah. So um, in my age, at this kind of point in my career, um, I really think I can use three months more or six months more to make such an important decision and just do work together and see how it goes. Hmm. So you, you recommend that you, you wait and, and let it grow and let it uh, do some kind of uh, very 
much work in front uh, front work and then only when you are, know the people and when you know the idea and how it works only then are you going to start the, the real company and the, nail down the shareholders agreement and so on. So some businesses are such that uh, you know it makes sense to do it this way. So mm -hmm. let's say that the core offering is such that you can't withdraw very easily. Yeah. This is the kind of company where you know when you put it out with your own face you know it's very difficult to withdraw. So in this kind of case it makes sense to get you know use yeah. time to get to know the team. If it's sort of a more low risk like, like consultancy. Yeah, something. jumping from, you know, the mat type of case that, you know, the risk is like stepping out of the mat. Then do the company and then just, you know, do a good exit plan if things don't work. That's the other way. But normally, you know, like it, in, in my opinion, it is a sort of heavy investment decision also where you use your time exactly. and to whom. Yeah. So yeah. it makes sense to kind of try out how it works. Uh, you were talking about the exit plan. Mm -hmm. So some founders should think about the exit already in the beginning. When should founders or leave the company at what time? Let's say if they have started a company and they, at what time do you recommend that they leave the, the company either because they want to pursue other interests or they want to sell it or they want to or it doesn't work out. It, there are different scenarios but uh, when when should you leave the company as a founder? When, when you stop adding value. So personally, I think I have a certain kind of life cycle, how many years I'm able to give to a certain kind of idea and business. And then I know when that life cycle comes to an end, it's around five years for me, that I can sustain a pretty strong performance or, and you know do consistent things. And then my mind gets restless and I kind of start to think about new things. So I think the key is to know oneself that, you know, what is the amount of years that, you know, you are able to sustain continuous performance around a certain matter. Mm -hmm. And then already in the beginning, recognize this. And then, for example, think about it in the shareholders agreements, in, in your role, how you build the plan and then kind of build it in. And in, in kind of in your own ownership interest as well as, you know, if you, there are other owners, uh, at least I, I sort of personally think that it's, it's the sort of um, uh, responsible way to think that everyone has a cycle and, you know, you can already state it that in my case, it most likely like this. So, you know, like my plan is this. Yeah.